Welcome to the Lighthouse Experiment, a Freedom Center Church podcast. There she goes. Mm-hmm. Are we ready? Any other, sure. anything else? Okie doke. Mm-hmm. Well, welcome back to the Lighthouse Experiment podcast. This week, we're so grateful to have Eric back from MMR. Thank you, sir, for being back with us. Yeah. And myself, yeah. Ashley Chandler, co-host, and Jim Parkin, Chaplain Jim Parkin. So we're all back. Welcome back. Cool. Yeah, you are the second all time. We have one nurse friend of ours that, and it was like the same thing happened. We did an episode and we were talking, then we went offline and she was sharing more stuff. And I was like, wait, this is too good. So we got to have you back on. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's so. Yeah. Cause I think our, we intended on talking about mental health. Right. And, and somehow, I don't know what. <laughs> we, we didn't we even go there. Yeah. yeah. We well, didn't even touch on it. Mm-mm. We didn't even touch on it. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit about that. And, yeah. So it's it's funny too. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump right into this because a friend of mine, my neighbor, is a Genesis doctor. She's like in mm-hmm. the Ascension Group, mm-hmm. and you know we're working on currently we're trying to put together this mental health task force, and we're you know it's like a lot of gathering information and a lot of talking to you know our coworkers and stuff like that. <clears throat> so they had an incident that I actually responded to at Genesis where one of the residents attempted to take his own life. He cut his brachial artery with a scalpel. Mm -hmm. By the time I got to him, he was shunting, which actually that means he just, there's no blood pumping to the extremities. It was all going to the core. I don't know the outcome. We got him to Genesis because we were right on the, on campus there anyway. So she gets this like text message or like met Facebook messenger thing that essentially said, as you know, residents kill themselves frequently and I didn't even get past that. I was like, well, that's harsh language. Yeah. You know, and she was really like bugged by it. And I was like, and kind of asked us like, how do you guys in your world approach it? I was like, well, what I do is I'll post a picture or write something and say, this world's better with you in it. And then give people the information <laughs> like the 988 mm-hmm. number or yeah. like hit me on messenger. Like, but it's, it's never like, Hey, you're a doc and you're probably going to kill yourself and you should look into that. Cause there was yeah. like, if, if I read it right, there was like no information given. Gosh. Yeah. Hmm. That, that's like really no way to approach that. So. Yeah. That's hard. That's difficult. Um, you know, that that's one of the things that we're trying to address here at MMR um, is getting everybody on board and like our supervisors trained in, in recognizing issues and, and recognizing that, um, you know, especially after COVID and with, with mm-hmm. the amount of the extra work that we have, the shortages, you know, the world has just changed and, and people, I hate to say it, people are different. And 
Yeah. A lot of that stress that I think that's in the world with with inflation, with uh, you know people trying to pay their bills, um, with all the uncertainty out there, it seems to have really just exposed a raw nerve in the world. And I don't think our people are immune from that. In fact, they're exposed to it all the time. Right. And, and I think that it affects a lot of our people. Um, and up until now, well, you know, in the past couple of years, we haven't been really good at recognizing what's going on in people's heads and, and some of the things, the challenges that they're facing. And it's not always, mm-hmm. Jim, it's not always the work. It's not always that bad call. You know, right. the bad yep. call can be a trigger, but, you know, underneath they're, you know, they're having a problem in a relationship, they have problems with the kids, maybe they're not paying bills, whatever it is, um, you know, a lot of those things can pile up and, and we have to recognize that yeah. it's not just the call, um, right. it's not just the environment, you know, there's a lot of things going on. And, you know, since Lori and I have been here, we, we've seen a lot of that where, um, people just don't have the service that they need um, because I think that although work's not the only thing, I think um, it's a contributor. And, and as an employer, I think we owe it to our folks to recognize those things and, and try to help them out. And so right. that's, that's the idea behind the the mental health task force here at MMR is that, you know, we're not experts, you know, I, we can go out and sign everybody up for an EAP program and get them some counseling and all that. But it's more than that, you know, it's, right. it, it's just recognizing it because I think a lot of people have issues that we don't even see, yeah. you know, and, and I use myself as an example sometimes because I have depression and, and I've had it for about 20 years now, at least that I know of. Um, but it's something that I've had to deal with quite a bit. And so I understand where people are coming from and I know what it does to my life. Right. And, and, and so it, it's important for me to try to address those issues and, and make sure that we get people help when we can and, and make it affordable as well. Um, right. And access, as you know, I think access is the biggest problem everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know this from the patients that we transport. People are spending days to weeks in hospital ERs waiting for placement, waiting for treatment. Right. You know, it's, it's all broke. <laughs> you know, everything is broke. And, and, and now we're in a situation where we have to take care of all these people, but we're also patients too. Right. And we have to, we have to think about that and, and try to keep everybody as strong as possible and, and, and willing to get help when they need it. And, right. and, sometimes, and sometimes people don't even recognize they need it. And we need people that have a keen eye that are willing to step in and say, Hey, yeah. do you need some help? you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's for sure. It's, it's, it's weird too, right? Because so for me, I like, I've never, I've never struggled with depression. Um, I was 
And I just recently figured out that between the military and the fire service and EMS, like more than half of my life has been sent, spent in service, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's things, there's things that I'll, I'll, when people are laying out, I'll see online they're laying out symptoms of post-traumatic stress. And I'm like, well, yep, I, I do that. And I have that. Yep. Insomnia sometimes that too. Um, mm-hmm. But sometimes where I don't mean it to be a hindrance for like the whole process of, of helping other people out. Sometimes my years of doing this and my age can be a thing that can be a roadblock because I will find myself not considering like you just talked about, there's other things, you know, not just the job, but then I'll, I'll watch people come in and it's been, you know, six weeks of their career and then they're, they're talking like, they're not behaving like, but talking like they're already completely burnt out and they have all the things and they can't just, they just can't go on. And so a lot of times like, wait a minute now, you know, like, what is this based on? Mm-hmm. You know, also, you know, uh, I think I mentioned it a while ago in our email thread there. There's there's a thing where there's like a well-meaning society and what with all the social media and, and people looking into this, especially with veterans and first responders. But they they hand out that post-traumatic stress label. Yeah. You know, you know, what I'm saying so people come mm-hmm. in and I'm already told that I'm A, B and C because, you know, all eyes are kind of on it, you know, and on the veteran side, the 22 a day thing. Well, it's an average and it's a good marketing tool, you know, so so that kind of got taken down the wrong road yeah. you know, where people started capitalizing on it. And it's what's what's rough is that we're just barely scratching the surface of kind of peeling away the layers of the stigma of mental health. Yeah. So yeah. when you have all these other little stressors coming in, it adds to what we're trying to do and to get people to open up and and talk about their stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah and there's, you know, personally, I mean, going through what I've been through in my own life, you know, there are few people that I open up to and, and few people that, you know, I trust with that information and you know my counselors i have i have one good friend that i i lean on a lot um and but we you know it's it's one of those things jim you you want to be conscious of the issue you want to be able to take care of people but you want to also respect their privacy as well right And, and as an organization it is difficult to navigate you know when it when is the right time for us to suggest to somebody that they need help or you know without violating the privacy or you know it's hard to tell are they just going through a rough patch or is this something more significant and yeah. and we're just not we're not programmed and and I and I think about you know some of the comments that I've heard about people you know somebody's having a hard time with a call and I hear about, you know, a supervisor or another paramedic saying, well, just suck it up. You know, that's life. Take it, you know, go on. That's tough. You know, whatever. It's your job, you know, that kind of stuff. 
The one thing I've learned is, <laughs> you know, with my own with my own struggle with depression is that when you've seen one person with depression, you've seen one person with depression. You know, right. nobody is the same. Um, you know, I can, you kind of brought up your list of the PTSD and all that. And I've done that before. I'm, you know, when I'm trying to figure out what was going on, you know, I was like, yeah, I got that one. No, I don't have that one. I don't have that one, but I have this one. And, oh, what about this symptom? And, right. you know, everybody is so different. And, and I've come to respect that depression and anxiety, PTSD, whatever you want to call it, it has a lot of faces. Right. And it has a lot of symptoms. And they're not all the same. And, and the severity is, is different. The treatment's different. What works for me doesn't work for Jim. You know, it's 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 a hard thing to deal with. It's really and hard. and uh, you know, in my own life, it's you know, I, I'm gonna I'll just go ahead and give you the kind of as brief of a story as I can about you know what's happened to me. And I I started seeing things in my own life. Um, you know, I've been a paramedic for 30 years, so I've seen a lot of stuff and and I've dealt with a lot of bad scenes. I've seen kids beaten. I've seen, you know, people burned. I've seen everything. Never really bothered me. I never thought it did. You know, sure, I would get upset, you know, if I had like a child abuse case or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was upsetting, it, like I was mad, but I didn't take it home. I didn't dwell on things. I always thought I was just one of those people that, you know, I can go do this. It, it's all cool. But then I had, I had a time in my life, it was in 01. It was right after 9-11. It was October 6th of 01. And my wife had been complaining of a headache for a couple of weeks. And, and um, we were taking her to the doc and the doc was like, going back and forth oh it's muscle and all this other stuff and and it, it kind of progressed for a couple of weeks to the point she had called me i was actually on the road that day and she said this headache is not going away i don't know what to do i said well call my sister have her take you up to st mary's ecc where dr roller was working i knew dr roller because i was at flight care and i worked for him so i called up there i said hey my wife's had this headache can you get her CP? It's been going on way too long. And he's like, yeah, we'll do that. And so she went up there. She got a CP, and, and I was getting off shift, and I went up to ETC, and, and I went in there, and I, he kind of pulled me aside and said, hey, I got to show you something. And and so he takes me into the room, shows me the CT, <clears throat> and it's this golf ball in her head. And he's like, I don't know what to tell you. She has a tumor. And I was like, this is crazy. What do you mean she has a tumor? And um, so anyway, we, you know, he had basically said, I don't know what we're going to do about it. You know, obviously she has to be admitted. They had her on Dilantin and uh, they didn't want her to seize. Right. They had gotten her pain away because they gave her some steroids and the pain went away. She was pain free when I got there. And so they were going to call Dr. Fields. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's, uh -huh. he was the big neurosurgeon in Saginaw at the time. I've heard of him. He was, 
yeah, he was out of town at a conference and I had roller call him and, and he was going to fly back and do surgery on her the next day. And, um, we had to, you know, she had to be admitted to the main hospital. So me being me, I said, I'm not letting her go in an ambulance. I'll take her down. And, and I took her down. I shouldn't say this on a podcast, but I took her down in my Jeep with a pump going. <laughs> I love it. You know, because at that time I was basically thinking, here's here my wife's terminal, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not going to put her through a bunch of junk. And so we got through all this and I'll shorten up the story a little bit on her, but, um, she ended up with two craniotomies. It ended up being an abscess from her, from a tooth that had seeded an infection into her brain and they ended up taking it out. And I remember the, one of the other neurosurgeons ended up doing surgery because when they found out it was an infection, they said, we can't wait for Dr. Fields to come back. We have to go now. And I said, okay, go ahead. And I remember the doc calling me on the phone and they had, had me come back before they went into surgery. And the doctor said, Eric, take a look at her now because she's not going to be the same when she comes out. And that kind of just stuck in my head. And so I, uh, she went through that. She ended up with a reinfection. She had another craniotomy. And this was a probably about two to three month ordeal in total, you know, between the surgeries and the rehab and the, and doing antibiotics at home. I was basically her nurse, you know, at home for a couple of months. And I went through all that. And, and I came out of that and I, I was like thankful for everything that turned out, you know, she's, She's pretty normal. Um, you know, she remembered who I was and and everything was cool. So fast forward about a year and I start having these weird feelings. Like I started where I couldn't sleep. Um, I would wake up with like this weird diarrhea, panicky feeling, like my heart was racing. I never had hyperventilation or anything like that. We also had these body aches and just this fatigued feeling. And I ended up going to my doctor a bunch and just describing all these feelings. And, and, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on, doc. You know, I can function, but man, I'm a wreck all the time. And visited my family physician probably 10 times with all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and Finally got around to, you know, he started checking me for, like, adrenal tumors and everything. I ended up with, like, a a full thoracic and abdominal MRI looking for something. All these symptoms were all over the place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, during that time, I, you know, I felt felt like I was depressed. But um, I had all these physical symptoms. And... I remember being at the doc one time and he's like, Eric, you know what, let's, let's just go back through all this, you know? And, and we explained all this stuff and, you know, he kind of sat back and he's like, you know, I wonder if you have depression. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, I'm not depressed, you know, everything's cool. And he said, Eric, really think about, think about what you've been through here recently and, and all this other stuff. And, 
And so he said, let's, let's try some Prozac, see how that goes. And I ended up on the Prozac, and after about three weeks, I started feeling better. Some of the stuff was going away. And I'm like, hey, maybe we're on to something, you know? And throughout that whole time, I was kind of on and off certain stuff. I would get down. I would get anxious every once in a while. It wasn't a big deal. And then I, I got to a point in my life, I had left MMR back in 07. And there were some traumatic things that went on during that time. And, and again, I started up with these vague muscle aches, um, body aches. I would get jittery. My hands and feet would get numb. But I wasn't I'm not sick. sure I understand. Oh, that's Siri. But um, <laughs> shut up, Siri. <laughs> yeah, but but anyway, I'd have all these symptoms, and they would start up, and I, I in the morning I would just have like this bad diarrhea, and I would sit sit there literally like all jittery in the morning, and I hadn't had any coffee or anything, and and I'm like, what the hell is going on? And so it it kept on going on and it really never dawned on me that it was depression again. It was like something's wrong physically. And so I went back to my same doctor and, and we kind of went through everything again. I had, I had like all kinds of blood tests. Everything comes up normal. I had, I had another scan. I had uh, MRI of my brain. I had all kinds of stuff. Everything's checking out normal. And, and I remember the docs looking at me. He's like, Eric, we're just looking for zebras. You know, I, I don't know what else to tell you. And so that doctor, he had, he was retiring. And I went to another doctor and, and started going to him. And, and then same thing, I'm explaining all these symptoms. And why can't? And now I'm to the point where the physical symptoms were manifesting to the point where it was affecting my family life. Like, I couldn't go do things with my kids because I just felt crappy all the time and mm-hmm. and just felt like trash and that kept going on and on and on well my new doctor he's an internal medicine guy and so you know he's used to diabetes he's used to CHF you know they like those complex cases but they're not good at the stuff with the the psychiatry or the psychology yeah, no they're terrible <laughs> at it and he looked right at me he said eric there's nothing i can do for you there's nothing wrong with you and that doc i can't i i, am I can in, live a day in my shoes <laughs> yeah, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in constant pain yeah. i'm in constant i'm in constant you know distress and so I, I actually said, hey, you know, I've kind of been down this depression road. Can you at least get me a referral to a psychiatrist? Yeah. He said, I'll do that for you. So I went, and the, this lady, it was through Dr. Ibrahim's office here in Saginaw, and I went to this, this nurse practitioner. Her name was Wendy Rose. And I sat down with her, and I went through everything in my life that had gone on, and described all these symptoms and and how I can barely function. I mean, there were days I would get up, Jim, I couldn't, I felt like I wasn't going to get through the day. You know, I had no ambition. Mm-hmm. I, and I couldn't explain it. You know, I'm like, 
here I am. I got a good job. Everything's all right. I got, you know, I'm paying my mortgage. The kids are all right. They're not murderers. Everything's cool. <laughs> um, you know, I have nothing to be sorry about. And I sat with Wendy, I think it was about three hours the first day and went through all this stuff. And she had said, Eric, you have depression. And I'm like, what do you mean? And I don't remember the exact discussion, but she went through all this stuff and, and listed out exactly what I had gone through. And, and she said, Eric, you've got to understand your mind is very powerful and it can, it can rule your physical being as well. And I'm kind of like, I don't, I don't know if anybody else that has this might be able to, to relate to it, but it was like this aha moment where, hey, wait a minute, somebody's actually listening to what I'm experiencing and they want to address it. And it was the weirdest thing. It was, it was a Thursday and we had our MCA banquet the next night. I was scared to death. I wasn't going to feel good enough to speak in front of all these people. I was that ill. I felt like I constantly had the flu. And, and, uh. and my mind was just always like in downer mode. And to the point I was like almost agoraphobic. You know, I didn't want to leave the house. Yeah. But I had a job to do. And I kept doing it. You know, I'm proud that I was able to keep doing my job. But I was scared to death I wasn't going to make it through this 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 presentation that I had to do in front of what I think it was about 350 people. And um, just that session with Wendy. Now, mind you, I hadn't taken a pill that she had prescribed. But literally, on the way home, I had like this feeling of, oh, my God, somebody actually recognized what I have. Hmm. And you wouldn't believe it. I, I hate to keep going back to my bowels. But but that, that the next day was the first day I didn't have diarrhea, and I and again I hadn't started any real pills, but just somebody saying I think there's something else going on and and looking at me and saying Eric we can do something with this, the fact that there was some recognition and some hope that was half the battle right there. Right. And I couldn't believe how much better I felt Friday morning. And I remember calling my coworker and talking to her about it because she was concerned about me. She's like, Eric, how are you going to do this? I said, I don't know. I have no idea. And I called her. I said, I, said, I feel 100% better right now. And again, still not on anything. But she gave me some, um, oh, it was Vistarol. Uh, which is usually uh, it's a it's antihistamine actually, but they use it to as an anti-emetic and also it helps with anxiety as well. Um, and so I took some of that and I made it through that night, and that that was kind of the start of my journey with depression in earnest. Was back in like. Oh, I guess that was 2010, 2011, somewhere in there. But since, you know, it's something that I had to deal with. And now, you know, I had the physical symptoms every once in a while, 
I still get them. I call them episodes. Um, I, but I, I actively playing, um, uh, you know, through a lot of, I've probably been on 15 or 20 SSRIs in my life. Mm. They work for a little while, then they don't, you know, I'm not on one. Um, I deal more with the anxiety right now. I do have times where I'm depressed. I mean, there was a point in my life, Jim, where I was literally crying in my living room and I don't know why, you know, in the morning before mm-hmm. I had to go to work. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, is that I can't always figure out what gets me into the valley, you know, because I, I look at depression as like huge right. hills and valleys and, you know, through my treatment and through my counseling, I, I'm able to make them smaller hills and valleys. And as long as I can be like little waves instead of big waves, that's a that's a triumph to me. Because right. there are there have been times that I've been in the valley mentally in two times of my life, um, specifically where, you know, I I hate to say it, but I was suicidal, you know, where there's one time specifically I was glad I wasn't a gun owner um, because I was at a point in my life and, and I can't rationalize it because frankly, I'm, I'm a smart guy. I think I, I'm fairly normal, but there was a point in my life where I had a trigger and it, it made me think I don't want to be here anymore. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of being sick. I'm tired of feeling like crap. And, you know, in my head, I, not that I wanted to kill myself so much, but I was tired of dragging my family down with me, you know, because of, of all the accommodation that had to be made for me on a daily basis because of my depression, because of my anxiety, the things that I was missing out on and, and all that stuff. And really what, in the end, what stopped me was the thought of making it even worse on them, you know? And so I've had, I've had two specific times in my life um, where I got to that point, you know, the one time I was able to get myself out of it, thankfully. Um, And then the other time, you know, I had my friend that, that, Literally, I, I saved, saved me um, because I was at a point where I thought, there's no sense in being here. You know, it, it's not good. It's not going to get any better. Um, but, you know, luckily, you know, I find a lot of value in that friendship. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it's for me, it's important to have somebody, an outlet, that's not judgmental that that doesn't think less of you because you know i'm you know i'm six foot three you know i'm pretty big guy it's not manly to have this you know um right and so and that's half the problem right there it's it's stigma right yeah a lot of it's stigma and uh you know but throughout my whole i call it journey um, because I've realized I'm never going to be without this, but I can mm-hmm. manage it. 
I can manage it. Um, but throughout my journey, I've, I've met other people and I talk about it every once in a while. And, and it's amazing the number of people that have been through a similar thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I never really, have you ever, have you ever bought a car and you think, well, I got this unique car. And then once you own the car, you, you, know, you start the seeing them everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's, yes. That's the way, that's the way depression is. It's yes. like uh-huh. all, of a sudden, all of a sudden, because I'm experiencing this, I'm finding all these other people all over the place. Right. And, and you start to share some of these stories. And, and, and again, I am just amazed at what the human brain can do to your body. Yeah. And it's powerful. I mean, how does my brain make me have muscle aches? How does my brain, you know, I can understand why you want to throw up all the time or why you get diarrhea, but how do I, you know, how does this all happen? Because, you know, I do have anxiety as well, but I don't have, I don't have textbook anxiety, you know? And um, Mm -hmm. when I have what I, my anxiety that I call episodes, um, they're, they're kind of weird because I'll have a trigger, a stressor like one day and it's not for a week that I start feeling the physical symptoms of it. You know, the exhaustion, the fatigue, the achiness, the jitteriness. I don't sit there. I, I've never hyperventilated, you know, I get a little tachycardic, but you know, it's just, that's why I say nobody's the same, you know, right. But I have, I have this new respect because I've been down this road for the people that I take care of that have it, you know, and, and I've realized that nobody's the same. And so, you know, when it comes to work and, and the organization here, you know, I'm not an expert, but I've been there. Right. (laughs) And I'm sympathetic to it because, again, the job doesn't mess with me. I, you know, as much as as much as I see and as much as I deal with, I get mad at some things, but I don't get down a whole lot. Um, right. You know, I think it does contribute to it, um, but it, I really don't think it's all of it. You know, I don't know how else yeah. to explain it, but yeah. Um, so you know, it, it's important for me, and I think it's important for our organization to make sure that we provide the outlet because I think a lot of people need that aha moment that I had, right? And and, and for me, you know, my treatment now is you know, it's counseling, it's my friend, it's. It's exercise, you know. I I've learned that the endorphins you get from exercise, yes, sir, mm-hmm. they're valuable. <laughs> they're extremely valuable. Um, right. Being open and honest about what I deal with helps me a lot. You know, I I consider talks like this to be therapeutic. Um, I know. I know when I start getting depression, my treatment is to keep my mind busy right. to the point to the point like if I'm on the road, I'm taking all the calls and I look at my partner, I'm like, you know what? 
I need to take this call. And they're like, yeah, you're not, it's not your turn or whatever. I'm like, no, I need to take this call, you know, because I need my mind to focus. Right. And I, and I always say, I, if I, the people that know about what I have, you know, my family, my friends, um, the ones that I know real well and they understand what I, what I go through, I tell them I'm getting dark and and that's the that's the code word for Eric needs to start focusing. You know, right. I, I need to get off of the off of the darkness, and I need to focus my mind, and I need to be active. And that that's why I exercise too. My you know, my son makes fun of me because I I do like an hour on the elliptical, and he's like, "You're crazy, you know? You're gonna kill yourself." I'm like, "Nope, I'm working it out," you know. Right getting it out of my head, you know, and, and just even that heavy breathing for me and that exertion helps. Right. It doesn't work for everybody. You know, like I said, nobody is the same. Um, and, and I found, you know, like through using medications, like I said, I've probably been on 10 or 15 SSRIs in my life. I don't like the way I feel on them. I feel like now, you know, I actually, kind of go to the opposite spectrum i don't have any feeling you know or i gain gain so much weight i feel pathetic you know (laughs) um so you know like right now i'm not on any but i do take i take valium once in a while right now as needed but i'm really careful with that too because you know you don't want to have a dependence on it and obviously i can't work if i've taken a valium so right uh, right but you know, I, I think everybody's different. I think um, I think everybody has their own story, and depression has a lot of. If you ever seen that Abilify commercial, where um, like the lady or the guy has the face held uh-huh. up, popsicle stick, you know, the smiley face, and then they pull it away, and they're they've got that frown. Right. That's that's me right there. It's like I, I identify with that because. I, I'm I'm really good at being a chameleon and and I can I can speak and I can talk and I can function really well with a lot of bad stuff up here. Yeah. You know? Right. And and I've gotten good at it. But once I'm alone, once I'm by myself, once I'm in you know, in my thoughts, um they're pretty dark sometimes. And mm. And it's hard to explain, but, you know, I have a lot of um, problem with self-worth and feeling like I'm valuable and self-doubt, esteem issues. And, you know, I think most people, if they watch this podcast and they know me, they're probably like, yeah, he's full of crap because hmm. I'm, pre- I'm pretty good at covering up, you know. Well, right. And that's that's. That's like a, almost like a skill set. You know what I mean? Like it is. It's cool. What's, what's bizarre is like, I rather because I've done the military, I've done this job. I rather like the idea of being expendable. I like that kind of like I know I matter, but within the job, within the skill set, if something should happen to me, that's just part of the job, and that's okay. And like the autonomy of it. But here's the flip side of it. I like it until I, I have moments when I don't. 
then I feel like, well, no one's looking, no one's seeing. I'm out here on this island all by myself. You know, yeah. like <clears throat> to be brutally honest, I did that. You know, I had episodes of that this week when the podcast wasn't working. I'm like, they don't even see that I'm out here trying to do this thing, which is not the case. Right. It's, it's just that, you know, I, I have the frustration of operating on a different kind of work schedule and timeline, you know? So, mm-hmm. so I found myself super frustrated at that and feeling like, okay, nobody sees me out here doing this thing. I'm all, yeah. all by myself. But then in the next 20 minutes, I'm running a call, you know, and rather enjoy that we do what we do and we do it how we do it and we have the autonomy to operate, you know. So it's it manifests and it looks different for everybody. I I don't, like I said, I've never really dealt with depression. Anxiety, on the other hand, anxiety, especially social anxiety, Mm -hmm. like even to put it out there even further, especially running calls at places like Walmart, you know, where they're packed. Yeah. What's cool. What's cool though, is that I'm as transparent as possible with that because the deputies and the other providers in Genesee County, they know it. Yeah. They know that that's a thing for me. And a hundred percent of the time they'll just swoop in and step up and just be, just go get the rig ready. Yeah. But when people yeah. like come in around me and all the things I get like, to where I'm not sure, like you said, you get in your own head. Now I'm thinking about all this, all these people behind me, and now they're watching me. I don't know if I'm making the right decision, and it could be a simple dose Narcan. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, is this Narcan? Is it just like just weird things that you shouldn't be considering? But yeah. I'm so like everybody's piling in on top of me. I just got to get out of here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, that yeah, that seems like it's like a little bit more of a agoraphobia type thing or something that's making you anxious or I don't know. Um, but it's, like a, it's very you know, strange. Everybody, everybody's different, you everybody's know. So different. I mean, for for us, I mean, Nick has gone through. He finally, I think, two years ago was able to say, you know, I think I've had panic attacks since I was in high school, but didn't know what they were and they would pass. Yeah. So I just kind of ignored it. And yeah. so we were married 14 years before I effing knew he had a panic attack ever. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, so you know, there's, I mean, there's a we, lot of like, Jim's gotten we, some of these calls. Up, yeah. You bring up a good point because you know, I brought up my wife's illness. I brought up, you know, the challenge I had when I left MMR last time as, as kind of triggers. But, you know, if I really look back at my life, you know, I could probably trace some of this back to high school and just never really understood. No, what I yeah. yeah. Right. And, and well, not and, knowing, I like what you said in the beginning of, I don't even know how to connect it at this point. Yeah. So I'm so good at just pushing through and doing what I need to do. Like I've learned, my brain has learned a ton of great information on how to like do what I need to do and function that now Mm -hmm. at this point, I don't even know now the hundreds and thousands of things that I've seen and experienced. What is what now at this point? Yeah. But my brain does. My brain does. Well, that's, you know, that's kind of one of the things that I've always dealt with. And, and when I, you know, my one counselor that I trusted 
Um, I don't see her anymore. She moved on to another job, but I really got along with her. And I, I have one of those brains. I'm really analytical. You know, I'm always looking for a cause and effect, or I'm looking for something. And, and I spent a lot of time in my treatment trying to figure out what my triggers were, because I thought, you know, logically, if I can avoid a trigger, then I'm going to be better. And, and what I found, and I kind of talked about earlier, is when I do have a trigger, I don't always recognize it while it's happening. Yeah. But then I have my episodes a week later. It's usually like five to seven days afterwards. I start feeling like crap. And, and I've been able through all this to kind of start to see, oh, yep, that was my trigger. You know, that was that really day oh sorry i don't mean to be where that was a really crappy <laughs> that was a really crappy day i had a lot of stress and you know i get through it at the time yeah because it's need like to. a delayed response yeah it's like you're almost in fight or flight and you know uh-huh. what you know? i think in some of those in cases moment, that's that's important you know i mean yeah. i was talking with a friend of mine whose daughter was on the highway they're driving to a wedding somebody cuts them off they had to do you know and the daughter is driving and she told her, we can cry about this later, but you can't break down right now going 70 miles an hour on the highway. You know, mm-hmm. so I think that there's legitimate circumstances where in this moment I need to function and I need to get through. But something that we've been trying to work through for us is, but I can still have permission to feel that and sit in that for a moment and take care of it. But I'm not going to mm-hmm. live there. Like, I'm not going to live there, but I'm going to figure, and we're trying to build our capacity because life is going to do that. Like, we had a ton of stuff happen all within a short time. And for me, I just kind of figured all the traumatic stuff I experienced was, like, all done and behind me. Like, I Mm -hmm. figured if I lived my life a certain way, I was pretty much kind of golden at this point. And I didn't expect that life would just kind of keep. And so there's so much that we can't control And there's so much we can't avoid and we probably shouldn't avoid. And so for, you know, us to learn in what situation and and depending on what are all the things, where's my capacity? Um, Shani has said this before. Her her capacity in grief is very different than her capacity in other, you know, know, she's lost a lot of students from different circumstances she used to be I think part of fuel or something towards Detroit and stuff so I mean just her being able to recognize my capacity to be able to handle different things is different at different times and to be able to give ourselves space for that um because it it life is just not aligned it's just so like you said like how can I navigate these so that it's not so I'm not so manic for all this stuff um but even, I mean, today, this morning, I'm at work, and I'm like, I'm starting to feel this in my chest, and I have no idea. And I was able to look at um, my boss, Sylvia, and be like, I'm really wound up, and I have no idea why. Like, can I run us an errand? Like, there's something we need from Target. Can I? She's like, yeah, absolutely, go do it. So I called Nick, and we were able to have a conversation that helped. I don't know if it was all of it, but I was able to, like, at least talk through it. Mm-hmm. And I, that was yeah. something that we wouldn't have done years ago. Right. You yeah. know, so just the fact that we're and and Nick went through so much of the physical stuff mm-hmm. that 
you know, I was kind of like, if Nick could just fix his life, then I'm fine. Nick's the one that needs to figure out how to manage stuff, you know? Right. But, yeah. <laughs> but it's just, it's affected now both of us differently. And then I think part of what we've been walking through is, well, now I've, I've kind of held off saying things or sharing how I feel about stuff because, well, I don't want to add extra pressure to him. You well, know, you, so you now we're, we're just navigating all it's, it's, it's yeah. crazy. It's a lot, you know? You bring you bring up one of the hardest things for me in, in having depression and being down is recognizing I I always say I'm an anchor to people around me and I have guilt because I recognize that when I'm bad, when I'm depressed or when I'm having the physical symptoms it kills me inside to know that I'm affecting the people around me that care about me. And that's the hardest part about depression for me is, is that it's funny because I can think rationally in my head, Eric, why are you down? Why can't you figure this out? You've got a good job. People respect you. You're, you're a good person. You, you try hard, you know, I should be okay. I can say that in my head, but I'm still depressed and I can't get out of it. And the worst part is, is that I know it affects the people that I care about. Well, here, let me, let me ask you, let me ask you your opinion on something because is the goal to perform at a certain level all the time or is it to exist as a human being and feel all of the breath alike? to feel anger, to feel sadness, to grieve things. I mean, I think that's one of the things that hit me a few years ago when my brother, we lost him in a car accident, was that, crap, like if I live any breath of life, like this isn't going to be the first rodeo. Like this isn't going to be the first time that my heart's going to get ripped out of my chest Mm -hmm. going through stuff like this. And during that time going through a season where like I wasn't as available emotionally, physically to my kids, to mm-hmm. my son that was only nine months old at the time, you know? So there's, there's all this stuff, like the goal I, that I'm trying, like that's, that's part of it is that I, I don't think that the expectation should be, well, you can never feel any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's well, what do I do with it when I do? Like what? What yeah. are my resources? Who? Who is my community? Who are those people that we are? There's, you know, the Bible talks about two is better than one. Like, woe to the one that doesn't have one, because when he falls down, not if he falls down, but when he falls down, he has no one to pick him up. Mm-hmm. Like we all get moments to fall apart. We all get that, but for some reason, I don't want to ever be the one that's gonna fall short and not be there for everybody in my life. Yeah, I think that that. For me, that is the hardest part about it is that I feel like I can't be the person that I should be for the people around me. And and really, when I think about my depression, it's, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, I can handle this. I can handle this. I'll be okay. But what am I doing to everybody else around me? That's, that's That's the part that always hurts me, and it gives me so much guilt. You know, I think about my son because my son, he's the youngest. My my two older daughters are are quite a bit older than him. And um, he grew up with me having this. And I and it tears my heart to think about 
the number of times that I had to bow out of going to a school for a conference or something else. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to feel well enough to like be his coach for a long time in football and all that. But I would have these, these points where I was like, so down that I, I'm like, I, I'm sorry, I can't do this with you. Um, for me, that, that was always the hardest part about it is that yeah. not only does it affect me, but it affects everybody people. around me. Cause we're and, in relationship with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It affects the people I love. And to the point where I, at times, and this is, you know, the second time that I, you know, I considered, you know, not being around anymore. It was to the point that I was so ashamed and so fearful that I had worn everybody out, yeah. you know, to the point that they couldn't, they couldn't handle that anymore. And, and that, that's why I felt like I didn't want to be around anymore. I'm tired of being everybody's anchor. And, you know, it's kind of amazing that you can, I always amaze myself that I can, I can get through a day of work. I can get through a shift on the road. I can do all this other stuff. But when I'm alone, when I'm, when I'm alone with my own head and my thoughts, I fall apart sometimes. And I can't predict it. I'm still not 100%. I can figure out some of the triggers. I know I, I recognize it a lot faster than I used to. And I can, I can, you know, deal with it. But I've come to the conclusion through many years that I, this is a lifelong thing. And, and like I said before, everybody's different. I've tried so many different things. But I've realized that everything I've tried lasts for a little while and then it seems to go away and then I have to find something else. And so it's always constantly an evolution for me. Mm -hmm. It's always, it's always a lot of reflection and looking back and being able to be critical of yourself and and things around you um, to be able to deal with it. And like I said, it's about taking mountains and making them hills taking valleys and making them dips you know it's just trying to even it out and if i can just kind of keep it even i'm going to be good you know but i'm fortunate i think you know and and i you know i've had i i had a long time ago when i was at work at mmr one of our one of our people had committed suicide and um and we found out because he didn't show up for work. And I remember being back in that time and thinking, what the hell is this guy doing? You know, why did he do that? That pisses me off. You know, suicide is a selfish act and all this other stuff. And, you know, I mean, you can even you go to, you know, when you talk theology and religion, it's frowned upon to do suicide and all this. I get mad. But I'll tell you what, until you've been there, yeah. You don't you don't know what these people are thinking, because I I'm here to tell you like when I when I've had those thoughts when I got really dark in that place, you're not thinking of like that. You're not thinking about you know everybody else. You're for me personally, it was I was trying to remove the pain from everybody else. You know, it wasn't about trying to remove the pain from me, but again, I was I'm the anchor. I'm the one that's 
I'm I'm making everybody else miserable. So why do I want to be here? You know, so I, you know, I've changed my tune over the years um, because I don't know, Jim, have you ever been there? And you kind of like, you get that call for somebody that's suicidal and all that. And you're kind of like, yeah, that's BS. They're not suicidal. They're looking for attention or whatever. I've changed my tune, you know? Yeah, same here. I, I, I used to be that way. And I, I, had I was. A, had a gentleman, he was a, a veteran, and he had been up to Saginaw. Saginaw's got a VA, right? Yeah. I don't think. Yeah, yeah it does. He, he had been to Saginaw. No, we got him. He, uh, he might have been in Lansing or in Grand Rapids or something because the accident he had was on 69. And he kind of was just ahead of Miller Road or just west mm-hmm. of Miller. He went off. He tried to drive off into the, uh, like, well, there's a fence there and a bunch of, you know, wood line. But he had drank like a gallon of Jack Daniels between Grand Rapids and Flint. And they had just, that was, that's where he was. Mm-hmm. And it was honestly, he was the first dude that was like, was like something clicked. And like, I, I believe him. I believe he's in a place right now. And then, and what really struck me is that we're riding the rig and I had Sid, like trauma shears hanging from like, like by all our trauma gear. And he was looking at him and I kept seeing him look. And I kept seeing him look. And then I just, all I did was ask him, what branch were you in? Yeah. You know, and then I, then I asked him something that I've had just in the minimal training I've had is I didn't ask him what was wrong with him. I asked him what happened over there. And then the next thing the guy says is, I'm not going to kill myself in your ambulance because you've showed me respect. Yeah. And then I was, of course, like, well, I appreciate it. So, but then we get him to, to, we got him to one of the local ERs and it didn't go that way. Mm-hmm. Now he was in a, we put him in, you know, I, my partner, and I insert him into a different situation. And it was a group of people that their mind was still back with everybody who says this is just looking for attention. He's intoxicated. He's just a drunk. You know, and then that didn't play out so well for them. And then he ends up being, you know, restrained and, and, you know, makes matters worse and all this other stuff. So I think like the big, the big message here is just to like, this is how I'm going to like the analogy that I use is, do you ever been to the, I think it used to be called Sears Tower, but you can go in Chicago yeah, and you can walk out in the glass and look, look, look yeah, you're safe. Willis Tower now, yeah. Yep. But you look down the thing. And so the analogy I have is I have personally never been to that headspace, but mm-hmm. I completely understand how someone could get there. Yeah. Like I, I understand 100% why a veteran will, what we say is take a walk out in the woods because that's typically what they do. They go off grid. And they go far, far away and they end yep. themselves. But I, I understand how the mind gets there. Yeah. You know, I understand how the mind can get in a place where it holds the body into depression and those things. You know, um, I think that in our field, we have a problem with all like the micro traumas, not the big stuff, 
it's late calls. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's um, <clears throat> just all the little, as yeah. what an employee feels like, just nitpicky little dumb. Mm-hmm. I got to work this day and the last crew didn't put electrodes. They didn't restock electrodes. Well, who cares? It's just electrodes, but it's just one little, one little micro stressor. Yeah. And, and, yeah. It, and then it piles and piles and piles. I agree with you because, you know, with my depression, that person that doesn't leave the electrodes in there destroys me. You know, mm-hmm. it's like I sometimes I can't figure out what's going to push me over the edge. You know, it's it, sometimes it's the littlest, stupidest things mm-hmm. that you just any rational person in my mind. Um, and I say that with respect to everybody, because, you know, I don't know what rational is anymore sometimes. But, you know, what I consider to be an average person, they, this would slide off of them. But why am I getting mad because somebody didn't wash a truck? Or why am I getting depressed? Why is why am I sad because this little A to B thing happened? You know? And, and what you bring it up, Jim, is a good point, is that I think it's a lot, a lot of times it's little stuff. And it just happens to be the last straw. Yeah. You know, and you don't, you don't always see it coming. At least for me, I don't always see it coming. And it can be the littlest thing um, that puts you over the edge. And, and, you know, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm guilty. I've had those times where I'm like, you don't really want to kill yourself because if you want to kill yourself, you do this or that, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, I don't say that to patients. I've never said that, but you know, I think, oh, you're just looking for attention or whatever. I'm not comfortable with that thought anymore. You know, after being through this, um, I'll I'll tell you that if I ever did do something like that, you're not going to find me for a while. I'm going to make sure. But um, and I don't mean to be coy about it, but um, it the fact of the matter is, I've got to respect that everybody has a different way of processing things. Yeah. And, right. Yeah. And frankly, I don't know who, who's full of it. I don't know who who's looking for attention. I don't know who has a serious problem, but I know enough in my life that the people that take care of me are going to make a huge difference on whether or not I'm successful in my illness. Right. And so I vowed to myself to treat everybody with respect and and take them at their word and try to help you know if you want to if if you're feeling that way i get it i'm not going to question it you know right because i understand i understand now through my life that everybody's different and right and there's varying degrees everywhere um and i'm i am not the judge and the jury on that, you know, right. I have my, I have my experience. I'm willing to talk about it, but mine isn't the same as yours, yeah. you know? Right. We and I think it's a- important to have that small circle, right? Like, yeah, I was just thinking about this just now, but a couple of weeks ago we were talking on the, one of the episodes and I was telling Ashley here, how I realized that like I replaced the last bad thing 
with the next bad thing. Like when it, when it comes to like heavy calls or something like that. And then after the episode, I didn't ever tell you this. I was like, huh, when I say that out loud, it's really a dangerous way <laughs> to, to handle that. So I have a, a tight little group of veteran guys. So I've laid that out for them. I'm like, does this sound like a smart plan? You know? And I, and they were like, uh, no, because that's not what really is happening is this other stuff is still going to be in this, you know, this box for later and it's mm-hmm. going to creep up when you least expect it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounded really good in my mind when I said it, but it's just, I think what we have to do is like what you've done here. You know, you've come here and laid out that you deal with depression. I think to be bold enough to do the job we do, we also have to be bold enough to say, Hey, this is kind of where I struggle. And then if we're going to be leaders in this and help people out, help the younger ones coming up, I think blowing it off or trying to figure out rather than just taking people serious, erring on the fact that there could be telling the truth, yeah. you know, I think that's always going to be better than trying to, to split hairs or pick out who's just trying to get out of a shift or who well, just wants attention. You know what I mean? Because like, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. think I, I don't. Yes. Because I think that I, we kind of talked this a while back, like just, I had thrown out this idea of like just a, a, a line of stress kind of mm-hmm. manifesting more and more into trauma. And it's all kind of like on one, like, line and so to some degree I don't think that there's normal people and then people that deal with stress and depression like I I know everybody everybody's dealing with these things to some degree and so for you to make those statements Jim a couple weeks ago and then to reach out to your trusted people and be like wait a second (laughs) because here's the thing like I have not been as self-aware as I would like to be. Like every time I like have those aha moments, I'm like, mm-hmm. dang, I was thinking all that for a long time that I had all my right crap in a row mm-hmm. and had it all figured out. And now I, now I know better. Now I know more. Now I know a little different. And and so yeah. I, I think that that's really helpful to kind of give our, ourselves some slack of like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm kind of figuring this out a little bit more. And it's not, I, I just, I just kind of applaud you for that, Jim, because I feel like that's been like my whole life of the stuff that I, that we're walking through. I mean, Nick's walking through, I'm walking through. I, I feel like I walked in a whole nother door of my house and there's all this stuff here that like, I think I always knew was there, but then didn't really know either. Like completely, like, it's just, it's weird to describe. And so now I just feel more connected with myself. In a way that I didn't have that capacity before. And so I just, right. I, so kind of in the very beginning, you were talking about being able to kind of see some signs in people, being able to kind of be aware of what, what people are kind of going through or what some of these things are, because I've had Nick look at me at some points over the last few years. Now that he's kind of walked through his journey of like, I see you're doing this. I don't want you to walk down some of the paths that I did please consider this and this and this. And I, and I think that um, I've had thoughts. Why can't I do this? Why, why can't I handle this? Why can't like some of the things that you were um, saying, like in my own 
experiences. Like I, I, I feel like I should handle this stressor at work. I feel like I should handle this stressor with this family member or friend really well. And I'm not, I don't know why I can't handle this. Um, and so just a lot of kind of cutting myself some slack of, of there's some stressful things that I'm, I'm very emotionally attached to on, on how I see myself in these circumstances giving myself my own voice, being able to give other people permission to feel, give them space to feel what they're going through, giving them a voice. Like there's things that I don't take offense to that I would have years ago because I'm like, oh, okay, maybe it didn't come across perfect, but they just gave me a lot of information on what's going on with them. Let me take a minute to think about that and then give them information instead of being like, well, you're doing this and you're doing that. So there's just there's a lot. And so when we're talking about other people, I think that it's easy. I think it for myself personally, to be like, I'm functioning pretty well. I don't really need any help. You know, mm-hmm. I call my friends when I'm mad or pissed or, you know, or I go for a run when I need to. But I think that there's been times where I've let stuff go way too long. And it's taken me a long time to try to like, work that out more than if if I, but I didn't always know what I needed. And so I think that part of the stigma of this and part of the work of this is letting people know this isn't just go get help because you're like, you're at your wit's end. Like, let's all as people learn what is healthy for each of us, mind, body, soul, spirit, like how, like we're all so connected in this thing that we walk around with um, to figure out like I'm getting better at knowing depending on what's going on, I'm getting better at knowing what I need. And that's something I couldn't have done done 10 years ago, five years ago. And that's stuff that Nick is starting to be able to do. Like, like a few months ago, he, he laid down in the bedroom. He kind of disappeared. It was kind of a weird time of what we were doing in the house for him to go like disappear. And it was more than just a couple minutes. So he wasn't just getting something. And I walked in there and he was laying down and I could tell he wasn't feeling great. And I said, how you doing? What, what's going on? And he's like, I'm, I'm having some anxiety. I'm like, okay. Like, and he was able to at least tell me. And I was at least able to say, okay, what do you need? What, you know, and it wasn't a big, he didn't feel like he needed to hide it. I didn't feel like I need to get all pissed and worked up. And, and we were like collaborating with it. And it was just, some of those things seem so small, but they're so huge. And so yeah, I just but- want people to know, like, all these like learning like the brain is so crazy to learn how to to use research like all this stuff is crazy and I just think I just applaud people to like learn more about themselves learn more about what works for them what resources work like all this stuff and it doesn't have to be like you're at your wit's end it just means like man I'm super stressed all the time or I want to do this aspect of my life better I can do that like Mm -hmm. I can do it and there's people around me that love me and will be there for me. And I, and I can take one step at a time. So Yeah, I think, I think that that's probably, for me, the most important thing is that, you know, I, I'm, when I'm down and, and I'm depressed or I'm having an episode, I, you know, I have some things that are like tells. I don't look at people straight in the eye. Yeah. I get to the point where I, I look away and, like, my one friend's like, you're not looking at me. Yeah. You're, are you okay? And, and, and it's taken me a long time to say, no, I'm not right now. 
and what you brought up about Nick laying in the bed and you just recognizing that he's there and he can say, yeah, I'm having an anxiety right now. And, and to have just the respect, I don't want to respect that the understanding that, okay, this is one of those times and we've dealt with this before. And now you know what to do that. That is something that, is so valuable in somebody's mind that has this, that has, you know, these issues is just to have a little bit of compassion and an understanding and to, to be conscious of what's happening. Because again, for me, it's like, I don't want to be the anchor. I don't want to be the guy who won't do anything. This hurts me a lot. And just to have that understanding you know, I've had times in my life where people are just like, why are you so crabby? You know, or why do you look like you're down? Turn that frown upside down. What are y'all stressed out about? What are you stressed out about? Tells me that, I get pissed. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I can't turn this off. You know, in my head, I'm like, I wish I could turn this off. Trust me. Um, but to have somebody what's going on and you've learned how to deal with it and into that, it, well, it, it's every day. I'm going to tell you, right? I, well, be, I go, because it's hard when you've been playing in something for weeks, and then here's the day, and now this is like, I've I've had those weeks of you made it through work all week, but now for the birthday party or for the thing, like this isn't important enough yeah. to push through. Like, I mean, and that's been really hard. And we went for months, like we went for probably almost a whole school year where I did all of the driving with the kids because he was really freaked out of having an episode mm-hmm. while driving well, yeah. with kids, you know? Yeah, that's so now thing. all this is on my show. Okay. Well, yeah. I can't have a crappy day. You can yeah. have a crappy day, but I, I can't because what happens if we both have a crappy day? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. But what you bring up, what you bring up is a good point because I, I've been there where I, like I've told you, I've lost time with my son and stuff. And, you know, the the guilt that comes from that is almost like perpetual and, it, and it's like snowballs. Yeah. And then you start thinking about, oh, my God. And, I, and I've had those times, too, where I go through an entire week of work. I'm fine. The weekend comes. I got plans and I cancel them because now I feel like crap. And it, that is so hard. It, it's hard to try to plan your life around all this. Yeah. You know, and and you want to be part of things and you want to participate and you want to you want to be with your family. You want to spend time with your kids and and then boom, it hits you and it, and it gets destroyed. And then that makes it even worse. That amplifies everything. And and just having I found just having somebody that understands means the world to me and and you can't you can't you can't disregard that and you have to value that um because i think it's rare to have people that understand or that will tolerate it sometimes um because it's it's not a i can't flip a switch yeah right it's not that way um so, you know, like when it comes to work, I, you know, this type of stuff is real important to me because I, I, I've been there 
I feel like I, you know, I have a little bit to offer, but, but again, nobody's the same. And, and we all have different issues and, you know, some people are, are really good at handling it and some people aren't and, and we're just human beings and we got to mm-hmm. understand each other. You know, we have to understand each other. The mind is a crazy thing, you know? And, and I, again, I'm one of those, I'm, I'm kind of a science guy. I like to have, I like to have lab values and all this other stuff. We can't measure those chemicals in those brains, yeah. you know, Mm-mm. we can't. And a lot of, and a lot of addressing these things, like I said before, being on so many medications or trying so many things, you know, like calming techniques and all these apps and clearing your mind, deep breath, all that other crap. Um, you know, a lot of the treatment and a lot of addressing the issues, it's so personal and so individualized that you, you spend your life doing a lot of trial and error and, yeah. and figuring out what what tends to work for you and like i said before it it changes too um but the the people that i've talked to you know that that i've seen you know there's been some people in my life that have some depression and all that i tell them you know and when they when they're down and, and when they're when they're way down i'm like start start working on this start you know start getting some counseling and start talking to your doctor, start involving your family and do it now while you're feeling down, because I'm going to tell you in two days, you're going to feel a little better. And you're going to say, no, I'm all right. Mm-hmm. And, and you're going to be yeah. able to deal with it. Right. But I'm, going to, but I'm going to tell you that's when you're at the top of the hill and you're feeling better, but you're going to get back in the valley again. Yeah. And so I always, you know, I tell people it's, this is it's all cyclical for me and and i go up and down and i have to recognize when i'm starting to go down and i have to do the things that i have to do to feel better and sometimes you know i see people perpetually having issues and and they keep keep having them they keep having them like you gotta get the ball rolling get Uh get to a point get to a point where you have the resources at hand because this is going to happen again. Don't ignore it, you know? Right. And I think that that's the hardest thing for people sometimes is just, just getting to the point where they can start getting the resources lined up because, you know, mental health in in America and the world is just broken, (laughs) you know? Well, right. It, It takes you weeks to get into a counselor if you can at all. You know, or your insurance doesn't cover it or whatever, you know, Um, having things lined up so that you can address the issues you're having are important. And it took me years to, like I said, it took me years to actually go and see somebody, you know, And, and I think of all the years and the time I wasted without recognizing what I had, it boggles well, Nick, my mind. Nick was absolutely convinced it was something physical. Yeah. Abs- I, I, absolutely. I, I, I mean, we argued whole... about it for years. I'm like, just, and the first doctor we went to diagnosed him with balance migraines and gave us a whole list of potential allergens. Yeah. And so that I was trying to like, oh, it's all food related. It's all food related. And he'd be good yeah. for a few months and then like 
go right off the train again. And it was just like, I, I've, it was just years. Yeah. I went down the road. <laughs> I was convinced I had cancer. Um, I was convinced at, at some point I had like leukemia. Um, What's was, the one that you get from a tick? Lyme's Lyme's disease. Disease. Nick, went Nick down, was checking to see if he had Lyme's disease. I, I did that too. I did that too. I had, you know, because of the job, I had an HIV test yeah. because I'm like, why am I getting, I, I would literally get blotches on my skin or hides sometimes. Yep. And it's like crazy. You're like, there's that immune system man is just freaking yeah. out. Eh. Well, I bought myself a colonoscopy, you know, um, they were checking me for celiacs. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't believe I'm man. I'm, Blue Cross hates my guts, but <laughs> you know, it's, sorry, it's not funny. We, it's not funny, but it's like no, it, it just is. Just tell me, like, just give me a reason so that we can yeah. like go on to like plan yeah, of care. <laughs> like, yeah, tell- well, and that's the thing is that you know that's my head is so my head is logical, and yeah. so I'm always looking for the definitive answer to why do I have a body ache? Why do I have a rash? I'm doing the differential diagnosis in my head, you know, and I'm looking up stuff and literally I would get to the point, you know, I'd look up something. I'm like, okay, I got this today. And I tell and I do the Dr. Google thing, which you know, you shouldn't do. Oh yeah. It's the worst. And, and, and it's the, the worst. Next, <laughs> next thing you know, I've got some sort of hereditary malfunction or something like that i have a gene that's that's mutated or whatever and um it's crazy and and i and i always i've said it before here i am so amazed at what the human body can or the human mind can do to your body Uh amazing that you your head can manifest physical symptoms the way it does and one of the things, one of the things that we've gone over multiple times in like our training for the safe house mm-hmm. um, that will hopefully be opening very soon is that, you know, we're going to have kids coming in with a lot of behavioral immune, res- like all these responses, their nervous uh-huh. system, all these things. And so instead of getting so angry and overwhelmed, like be able to celebrate the fact that they learned how to survive and because of that they're here today Mm -hmm. and so as an one of the extreme examples that we could look at like yes let's celebrate the human body the human brain of okay so you're experiencing this this and this and this right now but you are so amazing you got here today. You figured mm-hmm. out, like, you've experienced all the things that you've experienced. Like, let's celebrate that for a second, too. Like, yeah, let's get to all this stuff. But also, like, give yourself some space, too, to, like, you're amazing. You're pretty dang amazing, too. You know, you might be a little of a wonky pain in the butt right now. But, but yeah, it's just amazing. Like, I, I really am getting so much more of a respect for what people have been able to endure and get through and manage and and all the things and it's really like you said earlier like just compassion for each other passion yeah. compassion for people giving people space like 
I don't need to be in such a rush anymore. Like, I, I can give people space. Like, I'm going to be late for the thing. Okay, but somebody needed 10 minutes, half an hour to talk. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and, and that's some of the stuff I'm learning, too. Like, we were always such in a rush because the thing was so important to get to and do all this stuff. And it's like, our relationships need to be okay. Like, we we need to be there for one another. And if yeah. we take a minute, like, because now what we're seeing is that now as we're coming down and, and figuring out how we're managing and, and navigating these things and our stresses and all this stuff, like our kids are actually coming down from this performance level of like, I got to function all this, you know, and we're able to now continue learning as a family, helping to teach them like, Hey, we're going to go through stuff. Like let's do the best we can to equip you with, how to navigate that. Like we're here for you a thousand percent, you know? So there's all this other stuff that I wouldn't have ever considered being a a blessing of all this stuff. And now we're actually learning how to really be there for each other in deeper ways, like really crazy cool ways. And that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have happened if we were able to just keep going and keep pushing through and not having to like, if Nick wouldn't have physically hit a wall, we would have kept on, kept it on. You know, yeah. like would have kept doing our thing and um, it wouldn't have been good for us long term. It wouldn't have been good for our kids long term. And so there's just no. been a lot of really good stuff, even though it's been really, I mean, it's been hard. Yeah. I, I like what you're saying about, you know, celebrating the good things and, and being able to endure some things. Because I think, you know, for people like me, it, it's easy to forget the accomplishments that you've had and, and being able to deal with things. And then the other thing I would say too, is that one of the greatest things that I experience in throughout this depression is when I'm with somebody else and they're having a hard time and I can help them in some way for somebody Mm -hmm. that has the self-esteem issue that I have and the confidence issue and and always feeling like the anchor um for me to be able to help somebody else and talk to them and let them know that what they're feeling is is okay and it's you know to some extent it's natural you know because we are all humans yeah and Uh and and we all suffer from confidence and issues and we suffer from some anxieties and all that for me to help somebody else out is like the greatest reward I can ever have sometimes. And, and I have friends that, you know, they're like, Oh man, I know, you know, I'm such a bummer or I'm sorry for feeling this way. I'm like, no, it's okay. It's okay because you're helping me, you know, right. Because now I'm not alone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What we call uh, each one, teach one. Right. It's that, It's uh, what I like to call in, in the, the post-traumatic, you know, the PTSD, we call it our post-traumatic development, right? It's, we've been through that. And for those of us who have lived in that, for you with depression, you can flip it into like your superpower. So now you know what it feels like and you know how to recognize it. I don't, but you do. So when you have somebody coming through, whether it's just somebody in your life or uh, one of, you know, a paramedic or an EMT, you already have that knowledge of that. I can see somebody going through other stuff. Mm-hmm. I can walk through with these, 
like young marrieds and I have guys tell me, you know, I don't know what it is, but I go to the store and I'm having a hard time and I can just say it for them. Picking out cereal. Oh, I know I can do a million calls and know what to do in all these situations. But as it turns out, there's like a hundred thousand different kinds of Cheerios. And now I find myself staring at it for like 45 minutes, you know, and it's, it's so all of us, we go through these things and especially those of us who like not to age us both, but are in the autumn of our careers can like, (laughs) can like kind of come up and help these people. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I like that better. Um, uh, but I think that's what like the, the key thing to, especially for, for our organization, for MMR is to look at it from that perspective when we're building this, this plan, this, for this mental health task force is like you have the gift of being able to spot what you've already been through. You know, I have the same thing. I can spot what I've already been through. Same with Nick for you, Ashley. And it's like that whole component of it is, is I think that's a key component in, in moving forward. Yeah. I, you know, I, Jim, I I think it, I could probably spot somebody that's like me, but again, not everybody is right. And, and and I think just generally having a respect for the variety and complexity of all of this is something that I think is valuable because you're, you, you know, you're bringing up the cereal thing, you know, it's kind of, I think about it and I think about all the trivial thing, you know, how many times can I go through, you know, terrible calls? How many times can I go through stress at work? And, you know, I think, Mm -hmm. oh my God, everybody's going to quit MMR. They're all going to go away. I'm going to fail. I get through all that stuff. And then I have that little itty bitty challenge and I can't get through it, you know, (laughs) like your cereal analogy, you should be able to pick out a box of Cheerios for crying out loud. You know what I mean? Right. It should be. Yeah. But it isn't, it's difficult, you know, Um, you don't know what those are. So just having a broad respect for the different varieties of things where you know, it's like I tell people, like, when they're going through paramedic school, I'm like, you know, the entire book is black and white, but the world is gray. Yep. And you, oh, yeah. You've got to be able to distinguish different shades of gray because nobody looks like the book, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's perfect. That's just, that is mental health right there. Yeah, I, I apply it to almost everything, I, you know. Like I said in the beginning, once you've seen one person with depression, you've seen one person with depression. Yeah, you know, good. right? That's right. You, you've never, you haven't seen it all. You know? I like that. I like that. Nobody looks like the book. That's yeah, hundred percent true. Yeah. So, I will tell you this. I will share. You know, speaking of the little the micro stressors and, and how it can kind of drag you down and and cloud your vision, like. It's funny, too, because just prior to me coming to MMR, we did an episode and Ashley was talking about that kind of part of of stress, of the Mm -hmm. little things. It can even be a job and it's piling up and piling up and piling up. And I didn't realize that I was living that until I left Swartz and came to MMR. Like I had no idea 
Like, I didn't know that I felt undervalued, but I might have. But then you come into a space where, like, I know for us in Genesee, if we have a call that's above the normal level of bad call, I know our supervisors are checking on us immediately. Mm -hmm. You know, I had that call I spoke of. It was pretty bad at Genesis. And the first thing, the first thing that happened was, are you good? Are you okay? I had another paramedic while I was, it was a situation where I was already on a call. So I didn't get a call. Uh, They just flagged us down. So I went and helped them out. So now I got to come back and I'm still pretty new and I don't really, I'm not quite sure how to get off the one. So MedCom can give me another one. So now Mm -hmm. I can chart this one. So I'm trying to navigate that. And another one of our medics came through and helped my brand new EMT sort out what she just saw and cleaned the rig. You know, that's the culture. Really? That's awesome. Like I, she didn't have to do that. She was on That's her own call. Awesome. But like they're back there cleaning the rig, getting everything back, reset for the next call, while my supervisors helped me figure out how to get off this to get this, so I can, you know. And it's just yeah. those are the things that create a healthy work environment and yeah. you know a place where people want to come be paramedics and, and know that they you know. know that they're not alone. Know that they're right. not isolated in these experiences and people are going to show up for them. That's yeah, it's huge. And I, I'm glad to hear your story, Jim, about that, because that that's exactly what we want is, you know, I, it, it, not Jim, not every, you know, I don't want everybody to think that, you know, if they listen to this, everybody has depression, everybody has anxiety, you know, that's right. not true. Right. That's not true. Absolutely. But, but sometimes just the fact of the supervisor checking on a crew because they know they might have had a good, a hard call mm-hmm. that that you remember those things you know right. and that's the appreciation you might not need anything but just just somebody recognizing that you right. went through something it is like huge it, and it and it's something that I wish I wish we were better at not only as an organization, but just as an industry of, you know, Hey, I know you had a hard one. Um, if you need something, let me know, you know, right. Not everybody, not everybody needs a CISD after a bad accident. I don't believe that. Um, we all process things differently, but just to have it. And that's the goal. I think of the mental health task force is it's not so much to push people into counseling we don't want to have everybody going to counseling and right and all that stuff. but we want to have it we want to have it so that it's okay and, mm-hmm. and it's okay to talk and it's okay to to be able to say what what's in your head and what's on your mind and and it's about being conscious of the things that potentially are out there right we're not, tr- we're not trying to commit everybody we're not trying to right as an organization, we don't we don't really want to know your personal business. That's you know, unless you want to bring it out. Um, but but it's like a culture shift, right? It's, yeah, yeah. It's like in this case, I have talked to people because that call that that did shake me up a little bit. Seeing that dude bleed that much, and so, but the good thing is for me to be able to talk to people and multiple people multiple colleagues 
then that young one is like, okay, old dude who's probably seen that a hundred times is okay with saying, hey, that was in my head for a couple of days. That was bad. Mm-hmm. Like that was rough. So yeah. now for them, maybe, just maybe, they're like, okay, it's okay for me to open up yeah. and say this shook me up. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. if we're offloading all that stuff, then it then it piles up on us less. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then you don't know what that, what's going to be the, the Cheerios moment for you, you know? <laughs> right. I'm going to use that. I hope you don't mind. I'm going to use that. No. It's a good analogy. But yeah, I think it, it, we had to get to the point where it's just okay to say I'm not okay. Right. And, and leave it at that and then decide, you know, as an organization, what, what can we do to help and, and just recognize that it's out there again. Not everybody needs a CISD debriefing. Not everybody needs counseling. Not everybody has depression. Not everybody's, you know, ang- anxiety. But just having it available and having it be okay to say something. Yeah. Right. So we don't we don't want to push it on people, but we want we want it so that if they feel like they need it, they know where to go. Absolutely. That, that that's that's the point of it all. You know. Right. So well, well, outstanding episode. Thanks for coming back. Thanks. It's a big deal. You know, it's it's I was I was talking to uh one of our alternate soups and I was we were both agreeing it's a big deal for you to come on here because people who work at MMR will hear this and that's they'll cool. be like they'll be like, Okay, he's He's not just our boss. He's a human and he has oh, human yeah. things that happen, you know, and it's, yeah. I think sometimes in kind of a culture, a work culture of there's management and then the rest of us for them to hear that, well, you know, the management team is, they're also humans. Oh, they yeah. also have other things that happen. Just, you know, really, you know, you coming in late is not the worst thing that's going to happen today. And, and you know that sort of stuff. So I just I feel like this is a big deal. So again, yeah. thanks for coming back. Yeah. No yeah, problem. Thank you, Eric. No problem. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Take I will care. share with you that this is this podcast was my way of journaling going through we were talking about things to cope. I mm-hmm. used this for during the pandemic, during COVID. Yeah. When Ashley and I decided like no matter what happens every single week. I'm going to basically tell you what's going on out there just so I can say it just so I can, you know, bring some, some content. So. Yeah. It's coping, you know, it's, it's there, you know, for me talking about what I went through or what I do go through, you know, that's part of coping. It's part of absolutely my treatment. And, you know, like I said, it's, you know, for me, it's, I'm tired of being the anchor. I'm tired of being the one that's down. If I, if, if I can get in my head and say, you know what, maybe somebody, maybe somebody else is having the same problem. Um, then, then it's worth it to me, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause we're never the only ones. No, <laughs> you know, no, and it's, and I, it, like I said before, I'm so amazed at the, like, it's like buying a new car. You see it all over the road then. 
I am so amazed at the number of people I've run into that I've talked to. And I, and I open up every once in a while and, and they'll be like, man, I had the same thing, you know, or that's mm-hmm. a lot. That sounds similar, but I have this or that. And yeah. you don't realize how many people deal with things, you know? Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, all right. All right. I got to be back at 7.30. Yeah, I got an early one, too. (laughs) All right. Thanks again for coming on. Take care, guys. See ya. That was good. That was so good. All right. These are a couple long episodes, dude, but it's all right. Yeah, but these aren't short conversations, so. No, no. This is is really good. I'm really grateful that you're. Mm -hmm. Was. Yeah, be that transparent and have a really important conversation. Absolutely. Well, all right. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you, Freedom Center Church and Kingdom Builders for having our back and taking good care of us for your love and support. See you next time.